This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for April 24th, 2011, Easter Sunday. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Mary didn't sleep well Saturday night. She was called Magdalene because she was from the town of Magdala, but more people knew her by the fact that Jesus had cured her of seven demons. Seven demons. That's really, for Scripture, means a complete possession of a person, a whole possession of a person. She had been taken over by these demons and had lost herself. But Jesus had been the one who had driven them out and restored her to herself, to who she had really been meant to be. And so she had chosen to follow him. Now, it wasn't exactly ladylike to be a camp follower, um, but she and a few of the other women did anyway. People talked. They always gossiped. But she didn't care because he had changed her life. He had made life possible. And as they went into Jerusalem early in the week, you know, and the crowds were shouting and everything, it's like, this is what we had hoped for. But as the week wore on, things started to go wrong. And she saw one of the people, the person they trusted the most, I mean, they, he kept the money, go out and betray him and turn him over. And then he saw, she saw Peter, who was like, you know, the rock, right? And, and he ran off. And everybody ran off, except for Mary and Jesus' mother and, and, you know, John. They were the only people who stuck around and saw all of it. They went to the trial before the chief priest, and then they went to Pilate's headquarters, and then followed him as he carried his cross up to Calvary, and they saw all of the things that had been done to him. And they saw him die. Her whole life had come from a place of wonder and amazement to nothingness in that action. And if that weren't bad enough, they had to rush the burial because it was the Sabbath coming, and and you're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. So they had to hurry up and get him buried. Luckily, um, you know, Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea uh, came, and Joseph had a, a tomb that he had been planning for himself, but he came and got the body, and they put it in there so that he would be, you know, at least buried properly before dark. And then she went back. Went back to the rooms where they were staying. It must have been a long, long Saturday. If you've ever had anybody who you love die, you know how time sort of just stands still in that moment, and it seems to never end, and it goes on and on. For Mary, it must have been even worse, because you know, for us, we generally have a lot of things we've got to do and plan, but there was nothing she could do except for wait. All their hopes, all their dreams, everything that they had talked about, everything they heard the Lord speak of, gone. She couldn't sleep. So she got up even before the sun came up and decided she had to go to the grave now that it was finally allowed for her to do that. And so she makes the walk, probably about two miles, 
over to where the tomb is. And when she gets there, the stone is rolled away. Imagine the devastation of that moment. What would it be like for you if you had buried a loved one, went back two days later, and you got there, and the grave had been dug up, and there was just a big hole there now? It'd be terrifying. It'd be horrifying. What happened? And so she runs back to tell Peter, you know, they've taken the Lord. I mean, they've taken his body. Something's terrible here. And so Peter, and it says the other disciple, who is probably John, who in Peter's defense is younger, um, go running to, back to the tomb. It says at first they ran together and then John beat him. But because, can you tell it's John writing the gospel? That's the, um, but John, being his, his younger and respecting his elders, waited once he got there for Peter to get. And Peter goes in and sees, oh no, they've, you know, he's gone. All there is is this linen cloth there. They've taken his body. And he goes running back. And John stoops and looks in because to get into a tomb, you have to bend over. They're not very tall. They're probably about four feet tall, the entryway. And he saw the, the claws lying there. And it says he believed. Now he remembered what Jesus had said and wondered, can this be true? Has he risen from the dead? But there's no indication that he was excited about it at that point, and he goes back to with Peter to tell the disciples. Mary, who had followed them, is still there, just crying. I mean, it's gone from bad to worse. How much more can you do to totally destroy everything that we had hoped for? And as she weeps and weeps, she finally stoops over. She hadn't done that yet, to look in. And when she sees the claws lying there, she sees two angels, one at either end of the slab on which Jesus had been laid. It doesn't say, I wonder if it reminded her of the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim and seraphim on either end. As we know, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We know that he had been made holy. But it doesn't say what anything about what she knows. And, and, and the angel says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? What, what, what's the matter with you? And they said, They've taken my Lord, and I don't know what they've done with him. And about that time, she hears something behind her, and she turns around, and there's a man standing there who, who she presupposes to be the groundskeeper, the person who sort of takes care of things. And he says the same thing to her. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she says, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll, and I'll carry him off. You won't have to fool with him anymore. We'll, we'll take care of it. And then that familiar voice says, Mary. And suddenly she realizes this isn't a gardener. It's the Lord. It's Jesus who is there. Can you imagine the mixture of feelings? Am I seeing a ghost? Is this a zombie? You know, is this good? Is this bad? I mean, what, what, what do I do with it? But, but, but it's the Lord who I have given my whole life to. And you can imagine that what she really wants to do is just run up and grab him in her arms and hug him and hold on and never let go. Wouldn't you feel that way? And Jesus says, don't hold on to me. 
I've not yet ascended to the Father. I'm sure it didn't make any sense to her at all. We know now where he had been. He had descended into hell, hadn't he? He had been speaking to the dead, proclaiming the good news of God's pardon and forgiveness to those who would die to themselves and live for him. Anyone who wanted to have eternal life, they were being offered that, even all the saints who had gone before, even though they weren't saints yet, that they would just turn to him. And now, after those two days, it's time to go into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, so don't, don't touch me yet. You can almost sort of hear the echo of, I'll be back. I mean, I'm not going to be gone permanently. I told you I'd be with you always in the end of the age, and we know that there were other appearances, but it's not going to be the same ever again. They won't be sitting around every day and walking and doing the kinds of things that you do when you travel together. He'll just sort of appear and be there. He says, go and tell the others that I have risen. And she does. The first apostle, if you will, because apostle means one who is sent. Mary is the first one who was sent to proclaim the good news of what had happened, that death had not won. Imagine that. The, the Romans had done the worst that anybody could possibly do. I mean, it was the worst treatment that anyone could possibly experience and here he was, alive, still alive. And that's the good news that has echoed down through the ages, some 2,000 years later, and it changed the world. You, you, you take people like Peter, a fisherman, who wasn't the brightest bulb in the socket. I mean, he would do things like get up and put on his clothes to jump out of the boat. I mean, you know, if that's you, Lord, and there's a big storm, tell me, and I'll walk over to you on the water. Okay. And then he goes out and says, this doesn't work. I mean, Peter just sort of blurted things out and rushed into things. And yet, here this guy who is strong and honest and sincere and, and even humble to some extent was also bumbling, is proclaiming the good news to Roman centurions, to the Jews, and converting thousands of people and starting the head of a movement that ultimately would convert the entire Roman Empire that thought that they had destroyed him. What was so different? Sometimes I fear that we, we see the resurrection of Jesus as a really good thing that happened to him. After all, I mean, he, he'd been through such terrible stuff. It's nice that God vindicated him and said, yeah, well, we'll you know, that, that's not right that that stands like that, so we'll fix it. What we don't realize is that all of the rules have now been changed. Everything is made new. Everything is now different if we will only believe, if we will only see through the lens of resurrection. We know that we have nothing fear. Isn't our greatest fear death? Even if it's not our death, isn't it our greatest fear our children's death or our loved one's death? I mean, we're terrified of it. Now someone's come back and said, you don't need to be afraid. It doesn't have any real claim on you. It's a temporary kind of thing, admittedly, in this world that's so broken, but, but it can't claim you forever. You'll be raised from the dead. If you only you will give your life to me. That's the good news, that we have nothing to fear. 
There is nothing that anyone or anything can ever do to us that is greater than the power of God. There's not even anything greater than, than what we can do to ourselves that is greater than the power of God. Even though we were sinners, even though we may have done horrible things, I know that's none of you all, but um, even though, but I have to speak for myself. So, I mean, even though we may have done horrible things, God still loved us and died for us and gave us a hope of life and said, if you will give your life to me, I will give you life that never ends. So don't be afraid. Everything is now different. Well, have you watched the news lately? It looks different, but I'm not sure in the way we were talking about, does it? Why is that? Well, I suspect that part of it is that we've forgotten to proclaim what has happened. You know, people want to go out and tell people the, the good news. If you'll straighten up and fly right, God will forgive you those bad things you did. Well, that's really fine unless I don't want to straighten up and fly right, in which case it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we have so deluded the gospel into being just another morality that we've forgotten that it doesn't have any... You know, yes, love, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, all of those things are fruits of the good news. They are things that when you truly have received it, then that becomes manifest in you. But it can't be manifest in you until you have received the good news. Not just heard it, but received it, lived it, believed it. So what is this good news that people, the whole world is literally dying to hear? The good news is the one who created you and me did not die. Not forever. Our worst could not kill him. Our worst could not stop him. He is alive and he wants to walk with us and he wants to talk with us and he wants to tell us that he is with us always and we are his own every day. You know, a lot of people say, well, how do you know that Jesus will talk to you? How do you know it's Jesus talking to you? How do you know he's really alive? How do you know it wasn't a mass hallucination or you know, just wishful thinking or or, or so how do you know it's real? Well, I mean, I can't give you scientific evidence, but I talked to him this morning and he seemed pretty real to me because he was talking back. And people go, yeah, but how do you know that's not your mind fooling you? And I, sometimes I start wondering, am I crazy? But I mean, I talked with my wife, Judy, this morning before I left and she was alive. Now, I didn't take her pulse or check her EKG or run an EEG to see if she had brain activity or anything, but, but she was talking to me, so I know she was alive. He's alive. The one who knit you together in your mother's womb is alive. And he is saying to you, you do not have to find the ultimate guru to tell you the answers to your problem. There is no self-help book that is going to help yourself. The one who made you can walk with you and talk with you. And yet all too often what the church has turned evangelism into, the spreading of the good news is, you should come hear our preacher, he's really good. 
Now, while that's great for the ego of a preacher, I have to admit, you know, bring them all in, they'll sit at my feet and grovel and just be wonderful and throw money at me. I mean, because I am wonderful and, and you couldn't be brighter than to hear from Ron Baird. I don't know who's more deluded, the people who do it or the, the preacher who proclaims it. Because it's not true. The only true preacher is the one who points you to a living Lord who is not dead, who will be with you always. The one who will help you get in touch with someone who will talk to you every day, every moment if necessary, about what it is that you need to do and why it is that he made you. And so all of those things that you have done before that have, that have gotten in the way of that, they've become irrelevant. They don't matter anymore. What he says is, let's get started again. Let's get you to the place that I created you to be. Because that's what really matters. Is that you live the life that I made for you. And the truth is, is there isn't a preacher who can tell you what life God made for you. Only Jesus can do that. You know, one of the great things about Christianity is this good news. If you go to the tomb of Muhammad, if you go to the tomb of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, if you go to the tomb of Moses or the patriarchs, if you go to see Mahatma Gandhi, or in, and then you go to the tomb where Jesus is, there's one major difference. He's not there. Matter of fact, if you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, they have a, a, a church inside the church. It's kind of interesting. The, the, a littler church. It's in the big open rotunda, and you can stand in line for, oh, an hour or so to get in because only three people can sit, stand side by side in the tomb, and there's a slab there in front of you when you get in, and when you see the slab, it is written in Greek, and it says, um, he is not here, he's risen. And I have to tell you, it occurred to me after I'd stood in line for an hour, why do we stand in line for an hour to go see something when he, go see, he wasn't there? <laughs> And what are we doing here? He's alive. The good news that has burst forth from the tomb is that death has no claim on us. That we no longer have to fear anything. Not our bosses, not our financial situations, not our relationships, not even our sin, not even death. Because the living Lord has said, you are mine. The only thing that stands between us and life that never ends is whether or not we want to live his life. Do we want to live the life that he created us to have? That's the only thing standing between us and the, the abundant life that he created for us. And it's not some pie-in-the-sky thing. Well, yeah, after they die, you know, you get to go sit on a cloud somewhere and pluck your harp. It's abundant life that begins now. Because... If you truly have died with Christ and have surrendered your life to Him so that He can make it into what He wanted it to be, then what's going to happen is that you will begin to live out the life that He had planned for you. What could be more abundant than that? What could be more joyful than really doing the things that the Lord had planned for you all along? What could be better than to know that you lived a life well lived and that was meaningful? And what more could we do that would help people 
than to tell them this good news, that you don't have to be alone, that he will be with you. He will guide you. He will show you what to do. Because he's alive. He's not dead. If you watch the news lately, you see there are wars going on. There are robberies, abductions, natural disasters, all kinds of horrible things. What would the 24-hour news cycle be like if we all truly surrendered to the Lord? Some people said they wouldn't have anything to show. Well, I don't know. Is that true? Imagine what it would be like if story after story says, oh, here's so-and-so. You know, when they knew the Lord, they found out that what he really wanted them to do was this. And they've been doing this, and look at all the wonderful things that have happened as a result of it. What would you rather watch, that or the story of somebody telling you about how a kid's taken a gun into a high school? Imagine if 24 hours a day it was just story after story of the wonders of people who were following the Lord. Imagine what our world would be like. But it can't happen if we turn it into some sort of legalistic rules-based thing. It has to be a living relationship with a living God. And so ultimately, we, like Mary, are at that tomb. It's empty. And the question is, is what do we see? Do you see an empty tomb? Or do you see your Master and Lord? Because that is the difference between life and death, is to walk hand in hand through life with a living God. Because when you have really reached that point, then you truly want to shout out, Christ is risen, hallelujah. Believe it or not, I really didn't prompt them, but they did it at eight, so they already knew it. It's an exciting thing. We should be excited about the opportunities that the Lord has now put in front of us. If you're a young person, you have your whole life in front of you, amazing things are going to come your way if you will simply let him guide you. If you're an older person who, who has lived your life and, like me, has done spent a good deal of it doing the things that probably you ought not to have done, you know, that part in the confession, or take that part. I've done those things which I ought not to have done. We have to keep bringing that up. Um, then it doesn't matter because you've lived a tiny little fraction of eternity. Your life is just getting going. You're a babe. You have forever. It's time to serve the Lord, to truly be the person that he made you to be. And when you do that, then you will know peace and joy, and you will know why they call it good news. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.